Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, where we value each person's humanity and what life experiences shaped you to be who you are. We, as the hosts of this podcast, seek to embody these ideas as we explore things like trauma, its impact on the body and mind, and even how it has shaped the way that we are in relationships. Trauma is not the end of our journey. So within this podcast, we will also discuss what it's like to heal, move forward, and grow as a human who has experienced pain. Welcome back to Beyond Trauma. We are here in uh, the Enneagram season. Yeah. And it has been a season also outside of the podcast, it sounds Hasn't like. It? <laughs> <laughs> so like all of Beyond is captivated by the Enneagram oh, right now. Yeah, there's still a few that are just coming. coming to know. But <laughs> that's beautiful. That's the best part. Yeah, and our community is super engaged with it as well. So it's been interesting to mm-hmm. for all of us to be so immersed in this space of talking about the Enneagram so much. Like it really is one of the first times in my life where so many people are talking to me yeah. about the Enneagram. And not I think there was like a wave a couple of years ago that I felt like, oh my gosh, so many people are talking about the Enneagram. Mm. This feels very different to me. In what way? Is it's it's not like we're talking about it from a just educational, like, oh, this is what that is and the characterizations oh, yeah, of the Enneagram, yeah. but this is like a group of people like in our real lives, but also like our community mm-hmm. and our following that are coming and talking about it from a place of like true in-depth self-exploration and change and growth, not in this looking hard at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, well, this is what I am or what do I need to figure out that I am, but more of like, what am I evolving into and where have I come from? And what are these deeper layers of myself that I've never like noticed before? Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Um, Yeah. And I'm super excited for this season as a whole, Um, just to talk about the Enneagram. I think, as I was reflecting on our first intro episode, and it's been a couple weeks since we recorded that, so I've had some time to listen to it and think about, you know, what are we really tasking ourselves with mm-hmm. in this season? And I think I want to be really clear that this is not in any way an attempt to be exhaustive about Gosh. the Enneagram or correct um, or, you know, as precise as you might find in like a Enneagram training or a book on the Enneagram. Like this is us talking about the Enneagram as a tool of self-discovery and truly a wisdom. Mm -hmm. And with that, what does it actually look like to utilize it and partner with it in the process of growth? Yeah. Um, Not as the main goal, but as a byproduct of how do we move past symptom you know, reaction to deeper like character change. Yeah. I think my felt sense, and this is more, I think my role in it is this feels like a place I just get to like talk to my friends about the Enneagram yeah. and we happen to be recording it. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Less of like a, let us teach you. And especially because I feel like I'm very much in the learning process, Yeah, but like, how do we make sense of it? Where have we learned from Mm -hmm. and how I think there's even like a as many books as I'm currently like reading all at once on it (laughs) (laughs) there's still a different level of like processing interpretation my brain is going through with it based on our therapeutic model Uh you know our my own lived experiences like I'm taking information from multiple sources on it and still kind of like there's so many nuances yes so many people talk about it in different ways yeah yeah and so that's I, really what the Enneagram to me is is so beautiful when it can become that, mm-hmm. when people can actually try it on in their context and their lived experience and really, you know, work out the ways that it applies. Like today, we're going to talk about the gut triad. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how this first part of the season will go is we're going to talk about the triads specifically and the numbers that make up those triads, but really just being patient mm-hmm. with covering the Enneagram. And then my plans for the the season to continue is to talk to members of our community, both at Beyond and then just around the world that we're in connection with who represent some of the numbers. And hopefully we can collect the entire Enneagram yeah. and oh, show cool. some diversity there as well. 
Um, but in us approaching the gut triad, you know, eight, nine, and one all come at the world in a similar way at times. And then the way they work through it is very different at times. Mm -hmm. And then of the types who may, of the people who may identify as eight, nine, or one, um, they are all going to hear different pieces of what we're about to say. And some maybe say like, yeah, that really felt like me. And others say, that's interesting. I've never heard that described that way. And maybe some that are like, mm, I don't know if that's me. And that's the whole purpose of describing and talking about the Enneagram and actually making it come alive in your relationships yeah. is you can start to really, really you know, wrestle with it for yourself. Dig past the pieces that seem flashy at the beginning or really... Uh, alluring at the beginning because those might just be uh, identifications of the strategies that you most value in yeah. the world. And so dig deeper than that. One way I've heard that described is the characterization of it. Like, yeah. Or the caricature. Is, mm -hmm. Yeah. That is like fun. Yeah. Like I think there's a lot of like playfulness and like it can be fun to like talk in that way and relate and connect other people. But the true expression of the Enneagram is many layers deeper yeah. than just that, you know, simple label or um, like simple concepts of what that person is. Right, right. So what do you think about the gut triad? Well, I, I'm in it. You are in it as a one. <laughs> I identify as a one, which is in the gut triad. So I don't know. I do have a lot of thoughts. I would say, but I don't know if I have a lot of thoughts about it. I have a ton of feelings about well, that's it. what i was really wanting to to know is what do you what meaning do you find in the one being a part of the gut triad for yourself like what does that mean to you well i feel like i gave this disclaimer on the last episode but this is a very new space for me to consider yourself a one yeah yeah very new so i still feel like this like toddling mm -hmm. <laughs> child as I'm trying to discover. I don't think, I don't feel like I have a firm stance on like, what meaning am I Let's making talk about that? Okay. Then maybe this way in. Let's talk about what the word feeling means to you. So when, when different people across the Enneagram uh, between the gut triad, the heart triad, and the head triad, we all have similar language, but we mean different things when we say it. So feeling is typically associated with, like I think of a visceral reaction to uh, something like depression or anxiety or just something like that, where mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I know what that feeling is in my body. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you're using the word feeling in a different way. When you say, I have a lot of feelings about it. To me, you're talking like people in the gut triad talk, <laughs> which is my gut tells me something. Like I have intuition wanderings about it. I don't know yet what they mean. Yeah. But I feel it in my body. Yes. But it's not necessarily like a sad, happy, mad. It, it's not it's like not an a, emotion. Yeah. The difference between mm -hmm. feeling and emotion. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I think I imagine it from the bottom up, kind of like as we talk about, like it's this is where a feeling happens. This is where an emotion happens. And mm -hmm. this is where that kind of manifests into like a sense of or a thought about. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, the meaning making piece. So very much when I say I have a feeling, it's like down low. It's in my body. It's, I don't know, I don't have an emotional word to stick to it because mm -hmm. it wouldn't be, I feel happy, sad, angry, disappointed. Like it wouldn't be an emotion about it, but it's just this rumbling, <laughs> like yes. a rumbling deep inside that I'm like, I don't know what to do with that yet. That's, yes. I mean, you're capturing what I sometimes talk about as the embodied intuition of the gut triad, which is, it's like almost the way we typically think about thoughts being from our the top of our heads, mm -hmm. emotions in the middle there somewhere, and then this type of feeling or embodied intuition being at the very bottom, the root mm -hmm. of the whole thing. So if somebody were to ask you how you feel about something, you wouldn't just say like, I like it, or it, it may not come out as quick and as sure you may need some time to chew on it and really sure. sense through your feeling about it because you have to go from the question they're asking, which is at that top level yeah. of like, well, what do you think about this? What do you feel about this? If you don't have an immediate awareness of what it is that you're attending to in that space, you might have to spend some time really digging at it 
to get to, oh, this is what I'm feeling about it. Here's the emotions it brings up. And then here's what I think about it. I think on a lot of subjects, if someone asks, like, what do you feel about that? I would, my first direction would be to go to my thoughts about it. It's like quick. that would be, yeah. And it, and I would likely have something <laughs> like it would be there. I would have a thought or I'd have, um, a cognitive feeling, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. could cognitively describe a feeling about it. The emotional part would be more of me man, like drawing from my bank of therapeutic language mm-hmm. of this is what would probably fit or be appropriate in that. And less the emotion like, that's connected to yes. that thought. But I, I don't I don't think I experience a lot of moments where I feel really connected to the emotion mm-hmm. of it. But then like the deeper piece of a feeling, if it was a really difficult question, like what's it like to be in the gut triad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, I got nothing up here no for that. Thoughts. And I really don't have an emotion about it, mm-hmm. but there's just a lot of that. I think the best word I have is like the rumbling. Like there's just the so much of that, like spinning and stirring and like experiencing it. Yeah. And it hasn't filtered through yet. So yeah, not a lot of articulation of what it brings up for you emotionally or necessarily what do you feel like has impacted you in your, in your emotions to understand yourself as a part of the gut triad Mm -hmm. and definitely not a lot of articulable ideas about it yet. Yeah. The best way I'm experiencing that is like, I'm listening to uh, information on the one, like over and over hoping it will come to a place of articulation yeah like over and over but it has not happened yet and i can like grasp something new each time and i'm like oh i want to talk to somebody about this and really like sit with that but something small sticks each time but i cannot hear Mm. all of it at once like i cannot absorb and sit with like everything that's being said because it's speaking straight to the rumbling and it just feels like oh that's a lot yeah yeah. so much yeah so within the gut triad this triad is broadly characterized as dealing with anger in some way so what that means then as we look at the at the gut triad as a whole dealing with anger each of the numbers that make up the gut triad again eight nine and one are going to deal with anger in a different way um, before we started this podcast i'm in the room with a one and then tyler's a nine and I said the word anger and both of you in some way said like, what's that? <laughs> like Jokingly a little bit, but I think there's a lot of truth in it as well. Totally. That's like, I, I have blinded myself to anger or I've tucked it away. I don't have it. Yeah. But I'm thinking of personal experience with you where when you <laughs> react the most, it's because your anger is lit up mm-hmm. and that's where it's just like, nope, you'll, you'll express your anger very precisely but not flippantly or um, very frequently. And it has to be very justified. Like it has inarguable defenses around it. This yes. is like, I am so justified in my anger yeah, I'm right confident now that in nobody showing it, could. Yes, get you off it or, yeah, ju- argue or dismiss it. Say it's it. wrong in any right, way. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, so there's the one coming out there. Um, One of the ways that I sometimes will talk about this is this idea of being right. So eight, nine, and one are all concerned with this. And to a large degree, I mean, a lot, I'm not going to say all of the numbers, but a lot of them have some relationship to the concept of being right. But eight, nines, and ones are channeling their anger into rightness in some way. Sometimes I'll say that eights will identify as I'm right. So it's very embodied, like, I don't care what you say, I know what is right, and that's what's going to be. Yeah. It's coming from that gut place. I don't need the thought. I don't really even need the emotion. And if you tap too hard on it, you're going to get a little burst of anger. And, and then, then, and I could totally change positions of the argument and still be right. Yeah, because I'm right. Right. That's the it's thing. It's not what I'm saying or what I'm arguing that's right. It's me that's right. It's me that's right and I have my way. And sometimes you'll see ones behave that way as well, but that's more so, in my experience, them playing games with the person they're arguing with mm-hmm. rather than pursuing the idea of being right themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so eights are typically oriented around, I'm right, I know what's right, I know what's unjust, I know what's not right or wrong, and I want to 
always be true to myself and that like mm-hmm. that's just going to be what what happens nines i sometimes will say you're right and this is again to kind of play with the idea of the putting away of the conflict that comes in arguing who is right yeah. it's just easy for them to say you're right yeah you're right conflict it you know dissolved immediately dissolved there's yeah. nothing left what, to argue. what are you going to argue with me about yeah. you're right mm-hmm. And then ones won't say either I'm right or you're right because that's too definitive. They'll say it is right. Mm-hmm. So the reason anything should happen is because it's right. The reason something shouldn't happen is because it's wrong. And you then it's up to you to get on the right side of this. <laughs> and I'm always going to be on the right side of it. But that's just because I know what's right. Mm-hmm. Not because it's coming from me, but because there is a right way and a wrong way. And I'm always concerned with trying to find the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think of that? Eights, I'm right. Nines, you're right. Ones, it's right. I mean, this is the first time like I've heard it in that way. And that just makes complete sense in my experience of eights, nines, and ones. Mm -hmm. Like in being in relationship with people from that place. Like there's very much that felt sense. And it has a similar appearance on the outside. Like rightness is a focus, Mm -hmm. but it's that motivation of like what's being channeled in that. Is it me that's right? You that's always right or this outside factor? Yes. And I think that's where so often and all of these, all the types of the Enneagram are so often misunderstood. And that gets deeper than the caricature. Because if you look at the passions, as sometimes it's called, of each of the types. Eights are associated with lust. Nines are associated with laziness, or I like to call it slothfulness. That's a little bit that's a little bit closer to me than the negative connotations around lazy. And the ones around anger, or sometimes it's like certainty. Mm-hmm. Like I I have this channeling of my force in the world towards the certainty on what is right and what is wrong. Mm-hmm. But those are only, again, the top layer. The reason each of these numbers identifies with that could be for so many different things. So if we talk about the eights and think about lust, what that means is not what we typically associate lust with, with sexuality, though it can sometimes be that. Mm -hmm. Um, Eight and lust means like, I think of like gusto, like with Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do it with everything in me. If I'm going to do it, I might as well do it all the way. That is to me the the whole thing of the eight. And so if you think about I'm right, they're going to be certain. They're going to be all cards on the table for that purpose, like all energy in, gas pedal to the floor. Why break if the point is to go forward? Yeah. yeah. So what do you think about eight? Yeah, I'm just thinking of a couple of people in my life that um, I don't, we've never talked Enneagram, but that I would say I feel them as an eight. And it's a it's a big energy. Yes, that's like another really hallmark of the eight. Big energy that doesn't have to just be like boisterous and loud. Like I've seen that version of it too, but it's just the presence in the room. Mm-hmm. Like you feel the force that is present with that person. Yeah, and I like that you're pointing out that it it doesn't have to be extroverted or loud. Yeah. It can also be the other way. And that's a lot of the different literature you'll find on the Enneagram. Or if you're working with somebody who sees it as a wisdom tradition, you'll hear them talk about the eights as being concerned with the extremes. So either they're going to go with really loud all the time or really quiet all the Mm. time. Like it's this swinging between I'm either going to be completely outward with my energy or very much inward. Mm -hmm. And this is where you can see eights fall into leadership so easily because they seem to be the ones in the space that know what they're doing whether it's outward and energy out or it's inward focused really intensely on the thing that they're concerned with would you say like my this is just again a felt sense of but i want to see if it lines up there's this experience of um fearlessness but then as you sit longer and like learn more it's really just masking Mm -hmm fear like it, it mm-hmm. feels like there is uh, insecurity or fear or uncertainty in it but the mask of like fearless like i'm headed in this direction i have no i'm not timid about it i'm not uncertain about it like yeah. we're going so we'll circle back to this in the head triad with some presentations of sixes 
because there's sometimes a response to the fear in sixes as well, which is a part of the fear head triad, where they are responding to the fear with denying it and going out. Mm. But for eights to respond in that way, there is an element of of what I would actually re- reinterpret as um, insecurity. Mm-hmm. So fear to me and insecurity are a bit different. The eights mm. are worried about my not enoughness and they're yeah. doubling down with I am enough yeah. because I'm going to do it this way. Or when I do this really well, I am enough. Yeah, It's a again, a a response to insecurity or weakness. Mm -hmm. And they might be afraid about that, but it's not going to come up as, um, I'm anxious or I'm fearful of this. Not fear of an outside circumstance of some sort. An internal insecurity or weakness. Yeah. And largely in that you'll hear again, uh, origin stories of the types eights at some point in their life were completely exploited Mm -hmm. or witnessed devastating exploitation and tasked themselves with yeah. with justifying and righting the wrong yeah. um, or seeking justice rather than justifying seeking justice and righting the wrong themselves okay. no one else is going to do it everyone else was complicit with this exploitation mm-hmm. i have to be the one that does it right a fear of not having those needs met not being loved and accepted and so this kind of swing in the pendulum into an overcompensation for I will demand it in ways. Yes, exactly. I will manifest it in my forcefulness. Yeah. Um, You'll see social justice advocates or counselors Mm -hmm. or sometimes lawyers or these, these people that are, again, the caricature level of the eight where it's like, man, their entire life is devoted to righting the wrong that they perceived so early Mm -hmm. on in life. And yeah, I mean, that to me is just, again, seeing eights in the the classic representation of their, of their passion and their compulsion. So again, the lust of forcefulness and um, doing it all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any more thoughts on eights? Hmm. I will be... I keep imagining as we get to these episodes where we actually have someone representing mm-hmm. each type. Um, how cool would it be to have three of each, like three eights <laughs> sitting in conversation with each other about it or three ones sitting in conversation yeah. with each other about it. You so. would see a lot of diversity. Yeah. Um, where they might identify with some of these words. Eights typically in my experience are slow to warm with the Enneagram because it feels like it boxes them, mm-hmm. puts them in a box and says, which again, eights would be naturally averse to if their thought is, no, I need to be all or nothing with my expansion, nothing in my way. I have to be the one to go. And so if you try to categorize or label them, that's again, mm-hmm. you're you're tripping their, you're setting them up to fail basically. Mm-hmm. But if they can learn to identify with it and start to say, oh, this is how I move through the world with fully all or it. nothing, they can own mm-hmm. it. Yeah, they can own it. Um, as you then start to dig deeper into the work of the eight, which is to start to recognize the very thing you pointed out, which is that your forcefulness and your certainty and the steps forward may be a coping strategy for the insecurity and weakness that you feel. Yeah. And, and almost hindering you from really having those needs met. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So just very briefly, the eights are connected to five and two. Five and unhealth and two and health. That's the view that I subscribe to, mm-hmm. which is that we have a stress path and a growth path. So when eights are unhealthy, quote unquote, which means they're asleep to themselves. They're just acting on their gut compulsion. They're they're not able to find the space to be reflective or to have softness in their world. They will have a very five-like way of, of paying attention to their own needs, which is likely not. And they'll just be concerned with doing things all or nothing, doing it right, yeah. because it's going to get me to the next place. So this puzzle-like way of approaching the world. Whereas if eights can start to recognize the reason they're working so hard all the time or the reason they're they're trying to wring out the everything of life, um, they can start to recognize that 
I'm actually doing this because of scarcity. Mm. Like I'm worried about not having enough, not being enough uh, for a moment to pass by without me taking complete advantage of it. And so I, I'm reacting. Yeah. And if they can do that, and especially in the context of safe people in their life and people that care about them, that see how much they are concerned with everybody being taken care of, then they can actually soften into their growth path of two, mm-hmm. which is when they start to become okay with the idea that life is a balance. Yeah, It doesn't have to be all or nothing all the time. We can slow down. We can enjoy a moment with other people and help them celebrate what they're doing and enjoying not just concerned with who's being exploited and who's the the one doing the exploitation and how can i start to plot against them essentially to to you know restore justice in the world but i can soften i can be okay with gray not black or white i can be okay with the idea that it's not all or nothing and i can just enjoy being with people Mm -hmm. um, and put down my armor and my sword and and just be with What came up for you? I just, I love talking about the stress and growth paths. Like to me, it, it, it does take it outside of this static box, Mm -hmm. right? Like if don't put me in a box of any certain type, but this, like there's so much more fluidity to it. And that stress and growth can be over a journey of like a lifetime of growth, but it can also be like moment to moment. Yeah. Like it can be within like, I'm in a really stressful season of of life and this week I'm seeing more of my stress path traits show up. Yeah. But next week I could find my footing and I could really like show up more in like my growth direction. Like right. I, I think there, I started in this journey with this mindset of where am I? How do I prevent from going backwards? Yeah. And how do I start moving forwards? Yeah. So like, how do I become this healthy thing? There's the one. (laughs) And looking for a map that was going to tell me how to do that. Right. And then realizing like, oh no, like there is this like fluidity to Mm -hmm. it. It's not just a linear process of how do you get from this point to this point and then you've arrived. Right. And that's, to me, the Enneagram is all about the diversity of strategy available to Mm -hmm. each human. So eights are really well poised in this, and so are ones. Um, And really, all of the gut triad has so much diversity because each of you are connected to the other respective triads. So eights are connected to the head triad in five, the gut triad in their core type, and the heart triad Mm -hmm. in twos. Um, what that means to me is they have a really well-balanced way forward if they can find the the strategy that works for them and um, if they can find a space of recognizing that the strategies available to them can help them be balanced. They can be aware of things in their head. They can be true to their intuition and authentic in their in their gut. And they can also feel deeply and feel generously in their heart triad with the two. So again, just a great diversity available to the eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting them to the space of recognizing their weakness is again, antithetical to their core strategy, which is yeah. to say, I don't have weakness. I don't have insecurity or vulnerability. I'm just strong. So that growth process can be really hard. I just think of the safety that is required for all humans, but for an eight, especially like safety that's reassured with safety. Yes, exactly. (laughs) By more safety to be able to sink into that softness of like vulnerability and insecurity. Yeah. And a, a lot of times you'll see, and this is true for all types, that the only time we're really willing to look behind the curtain of ourselves is when our main strategy fails in front of us. Yeah. Like in That's front of our face. That's something we've talked about outside of the Enneagram yeah. a lot. Yeah. The is only that... time you're going to let go of your core strategies is when it fails you. Yeah. And so what happens when in eight, in their gusto and their forcefulness and their certainty and in their all or nothing, they actually end up hurting themselves or others. And usually not just when it fails you once, no, when no. it's very consistently failing you. Yeah. And you said, I've I've tried to like dial it up and I've tried to dial it down and I've tried to like morph it into another form, but this strategy is creating yeah. increasingly more problems in my life rather than help. Yeah. Yes. 
So I can't wait for the eight episode. That's going to be great. Nines. 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 So nines, um, you know, the core passion there is is labeled a lot of times laziness. I like slothfulness um, because nines are dealing with anger by denying it. So I don't have it. Um, again, you do. The rightness is you have what is right and that's fine. I'm willing to uh, be completely on your side in this moment if it means that <laughs> we're going to get out of it and get out of the tension. Um, I'm just going to you know, do whatever needs to happen for there to be peace in this space. Um, but again, that means that they will have an inherently troublesome relationship with their own anger because anger promotes activation and behavior, like mm -hmm. change on the outside. Mm -hmm. So if they're aware of their anger and aware of what's happening to them, they then are more likely to betray themselves and their strategy, which is to maintain peace at all cost right. or maintain the lack of direct tension and pressure. Um, if they speak to their anger, that's going to create more pressure because you have to now set boundaries and uh, protect those boundaries. You mm -hmm. have to actually be forthcoming with your desires and your wants and also explicit about your pain and the things that are coming your way that are troubling you. So that in the mind and heart of a nine can say, well, it's just easier to fall asleep to myself yeah. than it would be to actually name any of these things. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a moment that um, I remember just recently, it was like a, maybe a week or two ago, where you were saying to a couple of nines, I don't like, it's not laziness. And they were like, <laughs> so I keep hearing you wanting to like to correct mm -hmm. that label on it, I think because of all the negative connotation that comes with laziness. Yeah. But I just found it so comical in that moment that I was like, like, maybe it is maybe lazy. It like, yeah. And, and I think it's outside of what we think of stereotypical of yeah. like not willing to contribute to society in some right, right. form or fashion. Yeah. But more of just Or a, expecting handouts from other people or right. you know, these connotations that are so associated with laziness sometimes. Like, oh, you just want everything handed to you yeah. in life. You don't want to work hard. Right. Yeah. That's right. you not, don't have any passions you're pursuing or yeah, like it's all of those things are like that's not, not what we're what talking about. Yeah. Yes. Yes, because nines are some I mean, just some of my favorite humans. Um, very caring, so such good listeners just by nature, mm -hmm. thoughtful, creative. Like great therapists. <laughs> great therapists. Great. Yes, they do. Um, but in that, you know, they're connected again. So their relationship to anger can be challenging for them to recognize their weakness, which is that I don't have enough to meet the demands of my world. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. uh, similar to the eight in that way of the insecurity and the vulnerability. But with the nines, it's I can't pay attention to my needs. I can't really pay attention to um, the, the pain that I've been put through or the ways that I've been wronged because that's going to create more tension in me to actually do something about it. Yeah. So just fall asleep to it. It's okay. Yeah. So sometimes nines can be the doormat of a situation because it's just easier for them to lay down and take it than it is for them to stand up and do anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that they don't have the anger, that they don't have the feeling of, no, this is wrong. And if a nine is pushed far enough, you'll see an immense <laughs> gut blow up. <laughs> I have um, yet to experience that which is so fascinating because I've got several different types of nines in my mm -hmm, life, mm -hmm. um, not just even at work, but I haven't seen that moment. And it's so interesting. And I, I guess I haven't experienced even within myself of like talking about anger in this, yeah. in the gut triad, but yeah. um, it feels like it, it would require so much to get uh, really, into that space. Yeah. And that's, that's again, where it's, it's not something you're going to see a lot because it challenges the nines number one way of working through the world, which is to resist tension and direct um, focus on mm -hmm. my own feelings or the the different things that have hurt me or the wrongs in the world, like just, just fall asleep to it. It's easier. So to see an outburst like that means that they've been deeply wounded or some likely somebody in their life has been deeply wounded mm -hmm. and they're going to stand up for it. Um, sandwiched between the eight and the one, it's a tough place for 
-hmm. for a nine whose strategy is to deny anger. They have it all around them. So interesting. Yeah. Because of the, the wings being the eight, eight and the one. one. Yep. And that being the strategy that could be utilized or borrowed, I think, mm -hmm. if for a, not good or bad, but like in either direction, like we can utilize those strategies in a place of health. Like they can mm -hmm. really be of benefit to us and be supportive to us and being in a healthy place, but we can also utilize those strategies in yeah. a place of unhealth too. Yeah. And when nines are unhealthy or, or under stress, they have the path to six. And so what that means for, for nines is that anxiety can become a problem, that I can start to worry about the stability of my relationships and whether or not we're clearly communicating and connecting well. Um, and in that fall back even farther of sleep to themselves and just become mm. paralyzed in that fear and in that indecision. And I will, I love connecting with nines on this because they'll, I just go to sleep. Like, <laughs> like literally, not yeah, just like if there's, yes. And Tyler, like I remember you and I talking about this, like if there's too much tension in the space, like I'll just like go to bed. Like that's just, <laughs> that's just easier than, than being awake for it because then you also have the excuse of like, well, I was sleeping, so I don't know what happened. Ryan but, does that, which he's not a nine, but that is his. That's his uh, way. That is his uh, stress path. Yeah. And it's like, I'm so tired, zonk. zonk and I'm yeah. like, I'm so tired, I'll be up for like two days straight and yeah. just do whatever I have to and do. And I'm the, yeah, I'm the same way as you in that way. And I would imagine for Ryan, like I've heard threes talk about this as well. Like it's, it's, um, I'm so angry about it. I have to go to bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'm so, you know, uh, filled with emotion that yeah. I have to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, but in that as well for the nines, I, th I think there's so much, um, fear around the cost of actually speaking to the injustice. Mm. Like it feels so overwhelming to think about actually trying to change this thing. I just can't do it. Yeah. So I'm just I'm asleep we go. As you talked in the eight about what early life experiences possibly mm. shaped the eight and that like they yeah. were met with tremendous mm -hmm. uh, i can't remember the word that you used but the exploitation exploitation yeah yeah nine I, i'm curious what the like story mm. is around that but I, I just feel this sense of like it is a place where like your needs and desires and feelings aren't prioritized in fact highly neglected or ignored dismissed and so for you to hold that tension in your own body yeah. and to repetitively not have it acknowledged and felt and met is too much to handle yeah. so we have to repress it yes and i think that so often there's a recognition early on for nines that by doing that by suppressing my own awareness of what pain has been caused to me and what anger i do feel about it that by doing that it actually gets better mm. on the surface mm. the tension releases yeah. oh people are happier people are more uh, or, or actually less focused on me and more able to just let this space be peaceful yeah. than when I was so concerned with my anger, or with my with my feelings. So I'm going to continue to do that and that reinforces yes. that relationship to falling asleep to themselves. Yeah. They just stopped doing it because it clearly worked. Like it created a space of, of harmony on the outside. It reduced the tension, the internal tension, but also was a way to get the needs met of exactly. affirmation and validation. And right. And in the eights, they very same thing. They they felt the exploitation and they said, the only one that's going to meet my needs is me. No one mm -hmm. else will do it. And so the way I'm going to do it is stand up for myself and I'm going to stand up for injustice in the world. But it's not because I expect you to be thankful to me. It's because that was wrong. And if that's happening to you, it could happen to me. Mm. No way. Mm -hmm. Stamp it out. Um, that again, I think for the nines is, is such a tragic reciprocal conditioning of that yeah. space. Um, when nines are healthy um, or in touch with their, their needs and in touch with their, um, you know, the boundaries that are important to maintain and uh, what feels safe and what doesn't, they grow into three, um, which that space for them means that they can actually, and I get like, it's so beautiful to think of nines in this way because when they can feel safe enough and grounded enough, supported enough, 
to actually take a step forward in their passion and in their creativity and their desires and actually start to try on some things mm. like take up space in a room what's that like like actually you know value yourself enough to speak to your desires and and show up for yourself amazing things can happen mm -hmm. you know, they can actually become such amazing leaders and also just beautiful friends to yeah. have as they will show up and they will um, be there but also aware of their needs and the cost that it will be to them mm -hmm. be very transparent with that um, but ultimately a, a force of harmony in the world like i want to bring peace and equality and equanimity to the spaces i'm in I think of the phrase we use a lot, like the soft and strong. Mm -hmm. I imagine oh, yeah. that that type of leadership. It's this soft and strong. It's Beautiful. grounded. Oh, yeah. But very, yeah, it's grounded and solid, but very gentle and approachable. How amazing. <laughs> yes. And to get to that space, they have to recognize the pain that they've been put through and the steps that they've moved away from themselves, like the steps into sleep. Yeah. that they've really experienced and how uh, much of their actual experience, their emotional and, and mental and physical experience that they've fallen asleep to. Mm -hmm. And that's challenging again, just as it was to the eight, it challenges their their core strategy in the world, which is to fall asleep to it. Yeah. 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 So. Are we ready? <laughs> Are we ready? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, what do you, yeah, ones. Um, Tell me about myself, Bridger. <laughs> so um, I, I, again, anger is what we're talking about with the gut triad and we're, we're keeping it pretty broad. But to use the right language, ones believe that there is right and wrong in the world. That's fundamental. It's not arguable. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I believe it. It just is. Like it is, it is. <laughs> the thing that holds space and time together is right and wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm struggling even there. So like this is where like if this wasn't a reciprocal conversation, if I was on a podcast, I would now be hung up on that one statement for the next 30 minutes while the Why? What, what person hangs you goes up on, on to talk. Because my felt experience like I want to say, what I want to say is I don't actually believe that to be true, that there's not, like, I don't believe it to be true that there's only right and wrong in the world. I fundamentally and philosophically disagree with that. Mm -hmm. But as I reflect on at least certain spaces, I see how I function with that construct to be true. When do you feel like you can see that there is more than right and wrong? What has to happen for you to be able to, to believe that? I don't know if I know where you're headed with the question. I don't know if I know the right answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm playing into this a bit. Oh, are you? Are you sure? No. I don't know if I really know what you're asking in that. I think as you ask that question, what comes up for me is just a general sense of I, I feel like I'm in a, a, I'm more safe and stable and healthy when I can let go of those constructs. If I'm in an activated place, mm -hmm. um, and then even some that I don't know if I feel like activation in my body, but feel just there's certain things I know I get hung up on and feel like ah, there's just a way that that just needs to be done a certain way, and I just have. Such the a rumbling desire to tells do it, the you. rumbling, yes. Yes. And I don't know how to, I can like sit back and not do it, but I feel it like I should be doing this or taking care of this or it should look or be this certain way. It shoulds. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I'm always in a place of feeling unstable or unsafe or activated in that. Mm -hmm. I think the example coming to mind is like decorating, mm -hmm. like the office aesthetic. That is like a rumbling in my body of things should be this certain way. And I can resist engaging in it, but I feel, I feel this. Yes, it needs to be. I think also with things that are a bit more temporary, it's easy to see. Like decoration can change. Mm-hmm. But what about when a relationship falls apart? Those are things that like you will fall back. And I've seen you do it like mm -hmm. onto what's the right way to go about this and what is the wrong way to go about mm -hmm. this? Like under immense stress, right and wrong, win the day. Mm -hmm. Like it's just the way you do it. Yeah. Like, well, 
you may not use the words right and wrong, but what you're looking for is there is a way that is appropriate and just. honest and mm-hmm. just and mm-hmm. good. And that looks like this. Yeah. And then there are so many ways that don't, and you should be ashamed of yourself. Like, and other people, like it's cringe worthy when people do it, not the way that feels just and right and good and honest. So what I struggle to like make sense of is in all of the other areas where I don't feel like I have that, but it, those are on topics and things that don't feel like they come into conflict with like a core value. Exactly. That's what I would say is like a core value of mine. Yes. It feels easy to say there's space and room for people to have different values on this. And this can be like a space of, yeah, like flexibility and diversity of values. Mm -hmm. But then there's certain areas that feel like it's probably related to feeling as though like someone's been hurt or Mm -hmm. like. There is injustice. Yeah. And you should. Yeah. Respond. Yeah. So to me, and we're, if we're talking about you individually, that's a little bit more specific, right. um, but I would characterize that as more uh, leaning towards health or a desire to lean towards the health of the one, which is in the seven of recognizing that it's okay for things to not be perfect all the time. It's okay for me to let go of the responsibility taking that I have to be the one to mm. right the wrongs in the world. Mm-hmm. It's I feel okay too sometimes. I know I, yeah. That you take responsibility? Or that you no, let like it go. as you're describing that, my body resonates with that feeling. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a a place of letting that go, but I deeply resonate with what that feels like, and yeah. have a a lot of knowledge of that feeling of like I have to take responsibility yep. and do it myself to ensure that it happens. Yes, yeah. yes. And again, I think that's when we think about the one where you're doing it because wrong is so bad. Like wrong has so many consequences. Wrong takes away from life. It's not just this like heady argument mm-hmm. over logic and ration, like rationale. It's, it's not about philosophy or politics or mm-hmm. something like that. This is about the consequences of what happens when wrong enters the space. Yeah. When wrong enters the space, people get hurt. I'm left alone. I'm, I'm hurt. Um, pain and suffering and death come when wrong enters the space. Mm. It's not just about, well, I'm just right. Yeah. Again, it's not I'm right. It's it's right. Maybe that's one of the, like the boxes that I feel like ones get placed yes, in is the perfectionist that I'm or the... arguing right and wrong of something that is like what feels more surface level to me. Mm-hmm. Like there's a right and a wrong way to everything. Yeah, the reformer that typically is is given to the one yeah. as, well, you're just trying to go pick fights. Mm-hmm. No, it's because, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a devastating misunderstanding of the one because you miss everything that it's that's truly a value to the one if, mm-hmm. you, if you have that perspective that they just go and criticize and judge and pick fights with other people. They're doing it because they're trying to avoid the consequences of wrong. Yeah. And I think in the character of any Enneagram number, we can reach that more surface level place of like, mm-hmm. this easily fits into this. Like we can joke about those. And like I said, there's there's fun and there's playfulness in that. But it is when you start to explore the depths of how that really shows up and why that shows up Mm -hmm. and what shaped that person to hold on to that. Yeah. So with ones, you see, again, a tethering to the heart triad and the head triad and the the gut triad in their core self. But in stress, ones will retreat to the space of four. Mm -hmm. And so this space is, again, where the ones are trying so hard to work out this this idea and this belief and this felt that rumbling that you talked about that there is there is good to be pursued in the world and there are things that need to happen and in consistent recognition of either people are not on the same page as you and they're against you in that or you're feeling such um like the strategies you're trying are like crumbling in front of your face that this space of well maybe i'm bad or maybe i'm not right in this and so i have to um spend so much energy 
um, apologizing for my badness or for um, just hiding myself from other people, um, reacting to uh, what I perceive to be accusations about my wrongness. Um, again, it's that retreating into a, a little bit of the the victim identity and the the balance of, well, maybe I did the wrong thing um, or maybe other people did to me and I just can't get out of it. Um, but again, it's it's trying to deal with this weakness or this this vulnerability or insecurity in them that I have to, at the end of the day, be headed towards good and not towards bad. And I consistently have found that I can't do that. And so I'm struggling to crawl out of the hole of being bad or um, not working towards good. But if they're in a space of health, they're leaning towards the seven, which is again, this space of letting go of the need to be right or wrong, um, the need to uh, point out injustice and to always be concerned with the wrong in the world and trying to fix it. They can let that go and pay attention to the present of what can happen here and what is really meaningful in mm -hmm. the now. Maybe that's family, maybe that's um, a social cause or something that you're you're deeply invested in, maybe it's your faith, but some way of saying like, what really, really matters, and I can see why I care so much about the wrong in the world and how it should be right, what really matters right now is this cup of tea I'm having with my friend. Mm -hmm. And I can just let that go. And whatever tries to come into the space, I can just soften around it and, and validate that it's there, but really just be here and now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The seven is such a, and this is coming from a one and that being the health path, but like such a beautiful place. <laughs> um, I, I think about the song that's associated with the seven as mm -hmm. soon as it comes on, like my yeah. whole body just like, yay, oh, this feels so good. I love the space of yeah, seven. Love it so much. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. feels so good there. Yeah. So in a nutshell, that's the gut triad. There's the gut triad. Yeah. Anger. Anger. Is that what you're <laughs> gonna take away how from? It's in there. <laughs> After all of that, you don't see how anger could be there. The wounding of exploitation in the eight, the being completely ripped apart as a nine and no one ever caring about it, and the idea of wrong and death being in the world for the one. Nothing to be angry anger. about there. <laughs> Nothing to be angry about there. Hmm, so strange. <laughs> I think you're still confused on it. Like <laughs> I, I slightly am. It's it's going to be my intent. It's the intention I'm setting on a lot of self exploration. What does it I've feel done. like to hear that wrong exists in the world and some people do it on purpose? Well, that makes me very angry. <laughs> I don't feel it Are you right sure? now. Not in this moment. I don't. Oh yes. I think I just struggle to. <laughs> just remember. When we, yeah, no, yes, yeah. all the you know, <laughs> all those moments, you, all the moments that we've ever experienced together. You know I think when is. I think about anger, I imagine like this expression of anger. Like, I think I picture rage. I picture like, like the behavior a, an of one. audible yeah. outburst of some sort, whether that be like words or sounds or a volume that's so loud and it's big. It means and, behavior. Yeah, I think of the behavior, hitting something, punching something, like, mm. and that, like, I just, one, I don't know if I've ever, I don't think I've ever done any of that. Yeah. Like, I can't think not even just not with certain people. I don't think Ryan would say if he's ever seen me, like, yeah. ah. Again, that is where it's hard for the one to do the work that's necessary to actually recognize what hurts them um, to do any of those expressive behaviors would be imperfect we've talked about this before yeah. like identifying as perfect or identifying as like i'm right is not the best way to go about it mm -hmm. the best way to go about it is like well i'm flawed and i'm not perfect mm -hmm. i'm trying like, you know, I believe in good and I'm working towards it. That's way better than saying like, I'm perfect and this is good. <laughs> Just in the same way, like, I don't have anger. I'm not angry. Why? Well, anger is bad. You can't blow up and cuss someone out and flip a table over. 
what do you what what does that do? So is that part of the growth process? I need to be able to do that because I just can't see myself. <laughs> I mean, I, I think healthy anger in that way, and not to say that they're like healthy and unhealthy is is the crux to die on, but what ones to me need to get in touch with is the space that can validate their worry about wrong entering the space okay. and the consequence of wrong being in the space. That if there's wrong here, that means someone's going to be exploited or somebody's going to be unfairly treated or I'm going to be unfairly treated or... Criticism. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Unduly criticized. And that is BS. Like that's that's wrong. I'm going to stand up for that. And to validate that experience that, oh, sweet one, like you're trying so hard to maintain good and equality and justice in the world. Um can you look at yourself though mm -hmm. and see how you're having to fight those battles too? And maybe from a very early age, uh, that was not afforded to you. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like I can, I can feel that more mm -hmm. in my body, like a draw into an ability to express that kind of anger compared to having to maintain a composure and control mm -hmm. that shows up as it really shows up as like coldness mm -hmm. a lack of eye contact a i won't even like shift my body to you like a wall a detachment yeah. and a coldness but instead to stay present and engage and allow the fire to exist yeah feels like that does feel like growth and health yeah without it having to be this like explosion yeah and i i don't know a lot of ones i mean there's definitely the moments where, because like, especially if you put them in a certain situation where that type of, of explicit articulation or explosion is favored or really well-respected um, or like it works really well, I don't think you're going to see the explosion of a one uh, very often because again, that's, that's creating so many ripples mm -hmm. that it's so hard to not be identified as the person who'd introduced wrong into the space. Yeah. If it's because you're exploiting or pointing at a hypocrite, that's different than if you're just the one flying off the handle because you're reacting to something. That's not, that's very messy yeah. uh, for a one to be doing. So I, I don't think you're going to see that very often, but you will see the cold cut off and rejection and just like, you're no longer part of my life. Yeah. And this is the direction I'm going. Yeah. 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 It's very, very <laughs> precise anger, like very, very, um, Mm -hmm. A fellow one friend of mine says I should go to a rage room. And that, that's a very contained way of like maybe contained rage. That. Yeah. Yeah. And it's time limited. I think I'd be like, what do I do here? Just hit this hammer. <laughs> put that back together. Yeah. <laughs> I dented it. Could well, be fun. that's the Gatrian. So, Thanks for. Yeah processing all of that yeah and listen to more um beatrice chestnut and we'll we'll link some things in the in the uh in the whatever it's called the bio the show notes, show notes that's what it's called <laughs> yep we'll, we'll do that um the and episode bio yep yeah exactly the show notes <laughs> and uh sleeping at last is a is a great resource and eight nine and one uh i'll have songs on there as do other the other types of the enneagram but again we're looking at the ways that each of these types deal with their core uh, compulsion in the triad they live in and how the growth path can be challenging to find, but so meaningful yeah. when you do. Yes. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will aid you in your healing journey. If you are feeling inspired by something that you heard today and desire to seek out your own therapy, we would encourage you to do so and would be honored to support you in finding a therapist that is the right fit for you. You can contact us by emailing therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Beyond Trauma Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Notice that is an EMDR podcast hosted by Andrea approved consultants and trainers 
who use EMDR in their practice. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear. The Evidence-Based Therapist is an educational podcast where we read so you don't have to. On this podcast, we discuss seminal, recent, and relevant research on psychotherapeutics and the embodied relational sciences. How do we know what is evidence-based and how do we use it in our practice? You'll find out on the EBT podcast.